Psalm 11. It's a brief psalm, so we'll read it all to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Psalm 11. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance, his face, beholds the upright. Let's pray once more. O God, you've laid the foundations of our hope in oaths and promises and blood. We have a covenant certainty that you will be our God and we shall be your people. This, O Lord, is all our consolation in a shifting, changing world. So, O God, help us even now to know what we ought to do in such days as these. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This psalm begins with a robust declaration, a resolution in the face of challenge. In the Lord, I put my trust. That's the banner that flies over this whole psalm. And David needs to enter into this because he is facing the counsel of despair. In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. So David is pitting faith against unbelief. Unbelief always magnifies dangers. Unbelief is like a pair of binoculars, makes everything look bigger and closer. An unbelief is very quick to suggest compromises and to expect defeats. This is all very hard and it's clearly not going to go well. Unbelief speaks with a faithless voice and tells David, in essence, run for it. It's all too much, it's all too hard, it's all too difficult. Just run away. It may be... This is the voice of David's friends. They're telling him, David, there's just no point. Everything is falling. Everything is failing. The promises are coming to nothing. You have no refuge, not even in God. So why don't you just run? Everybody's against you and it's not going to end well for you. And you may have friends as a Christian who speak to you like that. It's all hopeless, it's all helpless, there's no point, batten down the hatches, run away. 
It may be that this is the voice of David's enemies. It's a scoff and an insult. The same kind of language that would be (coughs) echoed to our Lord Jesus on the cross. He he trusted in God. Let him save him. Let him take care of him since he delighted in him. Why don't you run away, David? Why don't you go and find your refuge? And there are plenty who would say similar to us. Why do you even try? You're on a hiding to nothing. There's no value in what you do. Give it up and run away may even be the voice of his own soul. David has sometimes those internal conversations and you will probably have heard the voice of your own heart speaking to you at times, saying, why do you bother? Why don't you just give up? Why don't you stop fighting for a vigorous church? Why don't you stop fighting for a Christ-like life? Why don't you stop fighting for a robust congregation? Why don't you stop striving for a family marked by the life of God? Why don't you just float downstream on the current with the rest of the dead fish? Run. Run. Because it's all hard, it's all dark, and there's no point. There are threats and there are dangers everywhere. We live in desperate days. And if you listen hard enough, that's a message that is being shared in churches, that is being discussed amongst pastors, that floats around at lunch tables, at at conferences, that crops up in the conversations we have with one another. It's very hard. It's very dark. It's very difficult. We're all going to hell in a handbasket in the ugly phrase that I've heard used. What's the point? Why bother? Why don't we just run? Why don't we just stop? Why do we make it so hard for ourselves? In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that, brothers and sisters, is the question that I want to try and answer this evening, God helping us. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I want to begin then by reminding you of certain foundations which never can be destroyed, upon which the righteous rests. And then we're going to try and face honestly and recognise the foundations which can be and perhaps are being destroyed and of which we need to take account. And then we'll try and answer the question, so what shall the righteous do? What is to be our response under such circumstances? So let's begin with some positives. Let's begin with foundations which cannot be removed and which never will be destroyed. We have a foundational throne. The Lord is in his holy temple. Verse 4, the Lord's throne is in heaven. My friends, our God lives. The Lord God Almighty, glorious in holiness, the God who does wonders, a God of matchless strength, a God of infinite wisdom, omnipotent, omniscient, 
infinite, eternal and unchangeable, that God rules and reigns on high. His throne cannot be toppled. There he is and the lamb in the midst of the throne and a God who rules over all. And faith, the kind of faith that says, in the Lord I put my trust, faith rests on the foundation of a divine throne. We must not lose sight of the fact that God reigns on high. The living Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Then there is a foundational book. We have the word of the God who reigns. Now, brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have the marvel, the wonder, the blessing that in your home, on your phone, both digitally and physically, you have God's revelation committed to writing so that everything you need to know to know him and to love him and to serve him and to honour him is in your hand, that you can pick it up. The youngest of us here can hold a Bible in our hands. God has spoken to you and me from his great glory through Holy men, Peter, again, Second Peter chapter 1, holy men who have been moved by the Holy Spirit. God has made himself the alone author, working through his instruments of a book in which all needful truth for salvation and service is contained. Do you believe that you have not only a God who sits enthroned, but a God who has spoken to you and has provided you with all that you need to know. Then there is a foundational life. It is the life of God who became man. It is the life of the eternal Son, the second person of the Godhead. He is identified from the very beginning and he becomes clearer and clearer to us as we work our way through the Scriptures. And we find him born into David's city, into Bethlehem, and given the name Jesus, which means saviour, because he's going to save his people from their sins. And you can count back through the years, and you could have stood there had you been alive at that time and in that place, and you have heard the birth cries of the young woman Mary as she brought forth her firstborn son. You might have seen, don't know how many people were there, and you know, whenever you see it on television, what do they always do when someone's giving birth? They call for hot water and towels. It seems to be the only thing that every... If that were then, then they were asking for hot water and towels because there's a child who is being born in this place. And his name is Jesus. And he is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ of God. 
And having been born, even the very circumstances of his coming into the world are a fulfilment of prophecy. And as he begins to live, there are seasons that are hidden from our gaze. There are those occasional glimpses through the childhood where you see a child growing up who is conscious not only of the fact that he has a mother and a human foster father, but that he also has a God who is his father in heaven and that he entertains toward him him a distinctive relationship <clears throat> that that relationship is then worked out through his entire life so that he is loving to do that for which he came the will of his father so that again at those key moments through his life here on earth it is heard from heaven this is my beloved son in him i am well pleased he has never once fallen short of my glory. He has never once transgressed my commandments. Not only in his outer man, but in the very depths of his being, every thought, every affection has been in tune with my intentions and desires. Every word he has spoken has pleased me altogether. Every action he has performed has been such as brings delight to my heart. His whole life Life upon earth is one of sinless splendor. Yes, it may not be much in the eyes of men. They may not look and see anything worth applauding or being impressed by. But God in heaven looks down from his throne and sees a man who lives in accordance with that book at every point. A life of sinless obedience before God himself such that even his enemies, when they want to charge him with sin, have to try and make something up because they've got nothing on him. Do you believe in the life of the incarnate Son of God? And then there's a foundational work, a bedrock work, because this Jesus, at the end of that sinless, spotless life, lays down his life as the Lamb of God, he comes to take away the sin of the world. The work upon which we rest is the salvation work of a sacrificed saviour. Salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that, that event can be compacted down in some sense into those words, substitutionary atonement, bearing the wrath of God for the sake of his people. That that is what our faith grasps. The Lamb of God, slain for sinners, came into the world and shed his blood to deliver us. And out of that, a foundational truth. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Some of you may remember, I believe it was... Uh, John Humphreys, several years ago now, maybe even a decade or more, uh, had an interview, a series of interviews. Uh, a man who, it seemed, with a measure of sincerity, wanted to know answers about man in relation to God. And he asked a the then archbishop in, an Ang in the Anglican communion, he asked a Roman Catholic cardinal, and he asked the chief rabbi, can you have peace with God? And each of those men answered, mm, maybe, 
but you can never know. Now, you might expect a Hebrew who only has the Old Testament and who still has to some extent the mindset of the Pharisee and thinks in terms of what I have to do in order to make me right with God, you might have expected, sadly, that answer from him. You would not expect a true answer about salvation to come out of Roman Catholicism because they've introduced so much clutter and so much of man so that even though there may be some true declarations about the nature of God, their way of obtaining peace with God is fatally flawed. But you might have hoped that a man who would consider himself the heir of the Protestant Reformation would have been able to say that a man, a woman, a boy or a girl is declared right with God, righteous in his sight, on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ washing away his sins and the righteousness of Jesus Christ put to his account so that when I trust in this Jesus, in that life, in that death, my sin is put to his account, his righteousness is put to my account and God accepts me for his sake. And my friends, do you believe in that foundational truth. And then there's a foundational experience. Because it's one thing to say that that is all true. But a Christian, a believer, a man who knows God has also experienced the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Again, we're living after the days when being born again has become something of a nonsense, almost an insult it's another way of saying that someone is a, is a nutcase. It's someone who's extravagant, someone who's just over the top and a, a, a religious fool of some kind. But that sweet language of being born again. If you are not born again, then you are no heir of heaven. You must be born of the Spirit, born of water and the Word. And out of the newborn heart comes that response of faith and repentance which lays hold upon Christ and grieves over sin so that you come into union with him. And the Holy Spirit works in you that life from death which is found in Christ alone and brought to us by his divine power and goodness. And that then gives us a foundation hope. Because Jesus Christ, who lived and died, rose again from the dead on the third day. Then he ascended up into heaven. There he sits at the right hand of God. And from there he will return to sit on the throne of judgment, to make all his enemies his footstool, to destroy all which stands against him, and to bring into his kingdom and glory all those who belong to him, that we will be like Christ if we trust him, know him, are united to him, that we shall be with Christ, that we can now live and die in anticipation of the glory which is to come. My friends, the righteous man, the righteous woman rests on these foundations. God on his throne. A perfect, complete, reliable revelation. A life of sinless perfection, pleasing to God, the life 
of Jesus, the Son of God incarnate. A foundational work when he lays down his life on the cross in order to save his people from their sins. A foundational truth that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life and not all the works and efforts and labours of any man or woman, any priest or pagan or whoever it may be, is ever going to intrude into the relationship that we have with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. A foundational experience that I have come into possession of that by the grace of God through his spirit's work in my heart that I can now say I am his and he is mine. And belonging to him, I look forward to the glory which lies ahead. Now, if the foundations are destroyed, praise God, those cannot be. They stand secure. No Christian ever need ask, will that foundation be removed? My friends, those are the things upon which we rest. Those are the operations. Those are the divine persons in whom we trust. If any of that could be destroyed, we would be lost. There is a, a fearful if there, if it weren't true. Sometimes the apostles bring that before our attention, don't they? If Christ isn't risen, then we're of all men the most miserable. We're fooling ourselves. But now Christ Jesus is risen from the dead. He has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The repeated assurances, confidences and expectations of the people of God through the ages have been in these foundations. And let me therefore warn you that if you are not building upon this foundation, then you are still lost. If you do not have a living God enthroned, if you are not believing in the word that God has written, if you do not know the life of the God-man, if you are not looking to that finished work of salvation on the cross, if you have not been justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone, and if that faith is not the result of the inward working of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and if you are not anticipating the glory which is to come because you do not belong to this Jesus and you have no hope in the darkness, then you are now lost and you need this God. If you're here this evening and you're saying, well, what can we do? What is the point? Where do we find hope? Here, here you find hope in him, in God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in the revelation that he has made and in the work that he has accomplished, in the redemption that has been carried out, in the labor that he undertakes, in the salvation that he offers this moment to every man and woman and child in this building that if you will come to him and rest upon this great rock, God himself in the person of his son, and that foundation which he has laid in, in oaths and promises and blood, then your soul will this moment be saved and safe for time and for eternity. And I plead with you, do not go on living in this world with all its shaken 
and wretched and miserable and empty offers and promises and demands without this God. You will be miserable in the darkness without Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, and the salvation that God has provided in him. You are lost until he finds you. And if he calls you now, and if you are seeking something upon which to rest your soul, then come to this Jesus and trust him this instant, and you will have a foundation which cannot be shaken. And you need it because the other foundations are giving way. We remind ourselves that there are certain divine foundations which cannot be shaken, but we recognize that there are other foundations which can be and perhaps are being destroyed before our very eyes. This psalm may refer to the time when Saul was king in Israel. And the longer Saul's monarchy continued the worst situation, the worse the situation became. Saul was not a trustworthy man. Saul was not a righteous man. Saul did not act with integrity. Saul began to turn his back upon the Lord. Saul began to betray those who once had been able to rely upon him. And all around, the Philistines were still at the gate so that Saul himself and his sons were eventually struck down in combat with the fierce enemies. Everything seemed to be disastrous. And you might say that while there's no Saul on the throne, as far as we know, and there are no Philistines at the gates, as far as we can tell in that sense, that still the foundations are shaken. You know the political foundations are being shaken when both the Germans and the Italians are making fun of us at the same time. Monarchs change. Prime ministers are going through the rotating, revolving gate at number 10, faster than you can imagine. Literally within about three minutes of um, Liz Truss announcing her resignation, I got a a message from two friends saying, there's only two more prime ministers to go until Christmas. (laughs) And they might be right. Boris Johnson back... Rishi Sunak in power, Penny Morden making her her claim from the back of the pack, parties and factions. They don't even know if the Tory party is going to survive the week, let alone the balance of this parliament. They're in the wings waiting. It's Sir Keir Starmer saying it's time for a general election. Why? Because we've got all the answers. Trust us and things will be well. And you look further afield, and nation is at the throat of nation. And the systems about which we've been arguing and which we've been setting against one another seem themselves to be falling apart. It's not just our country, is it? Does anybody really want, know what happened when the previous leader of the, the Chinese um, national, whatever it's called, you know, what, 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 was he not well? Or was that a very public way of communicating he's off the stage and I'm still on it? I'm sure somebody knows. But politically, the foundations are being shaken because the 
the same man who seemed to shuffle off his predecessor in China has given himself an unprecedented third season in power. Is Putin in control in Russia or is he not, humanly speaking? Are there machinations among the generals? Who knows? Can President Biden really find his way off a stage at the end of a speech or can he not? What is his mental and physical capacity as the so-called leader of the free world? Politically, friends, the foundations are shaking. Socially and culturally, the foundations are shaking. Everything seems to be coming apart to rot and rack and ruin. Sometimes it happens more slowly. Sometimes people talk about remembering before the 50s and the beginning of the permissive generation and the, the ugly reaping of the whirlwind, having sown the wind. It can happen more rapidly than that. How long did it take Babylon to carry off the cream of Israel? To lift them up, take them away and begin to retrain and re-educate them. Or Rome, a wonderful book written by Augustine, The City of God, written amidst the flames and smoke of the collapse of one of the great empires of the world, and asking, what shall the righteous do when the foundations are shaken? Friends have arrived from Hong Kong. People sometimes talk about that as the frog in the pot. The Chinese authorities begin slowly to throttle out the life and the freedom that's taking place in Hong Kong. And things that were always assumed, because when the Brits said, oh, we'll give it back to you in 50 years' time, 50 years sounded like forever. And then all of a sudden, it's here. And now what happens? Is there anybody here who genuinely believes that there is some kind of divine appointment by which our society and the things upon which we rely and which, upon which we, we rest our expectations day by day has any kind of guaranteed life expectancy. Moral. People talk about moral collapse. Our society has abandoned things that once we knew were virtue. And now it is necessary that we must celebrate vice, not even accepting it. Our friends from Singapore were saying this morning that the government there has removed a, a flagpole piece of legislation against a homosexual relationships. Now, it wasn't a particularly well-written piece of legislation, but it was in some ways a barrier. And there are believers then in Singapore who feel like the foundations are shaking and the first stand against that kind of liberal thinking, that moral perversion is now making its way into their country. It's not enough to say you can do it. You have to celebrate it. You have to bang the drum. You have to gather around and applaud and say this is the way that we should all be able to live. My friends, that's less than a full lifetime after days in which those kinds of perversions and wickednesses would have been anathema in our society and not even found on the lips of any right-thinking and right-speaking person. Now, what's going to happen in 10 years 
or 20 years or 30 years. Wickedness advances. The darkness rises. The foundations shake morally. The foundations financially and economically are shaking. No one knows what's happening in the global markets. No one knows whether or not we're even in a recession yet or whether we're going into a recession. One of the friends here today is an economist at the Bank of England. He says, everybody blames me. All I'm supposed to do is look at the data and work out what's going on. And we're not entirely sure. National instability. Where is the pound against the dollar today? Who knows? It's gone up and down like a yo-yo for the last couple of weeks. Governments buying bonds, selling bonds, shoring up the foundations of our society. Have you plotted yet when your gas and electricity are likely to go off over the winter? Do you have any sense of whether or not you can actually afford to pay your utility bills? There can be personal uncertainty and personal pressure. There are people who own two cars and live in big houses who because they own two cars and live in big houses and are tied into the whole lifestyle that belongs to that, don't know where the next meal is going to come from. And there are people for whom the idea of two cars and a big house is an absolute joke. And they can't remember perhaps the last time that they ate. Financial instability. Physically, the foundations are easily shaken, are they not? Our health can be compromised and shattered in a moment. Will you be alive at midnight? Maybe. Hopefully. No guarantee. Heart attack? Car accident? Maybe just the end of life? The Lord brings things to a close? We might wake up to a diagnosis that we didn't expect. You think of how easily you suddenly find aches and pains in your body. And what might today just be a bit of a niggle? In a week's time, that's a diagnosis. And that diagnosis might see you utterly broken in your health for the balance of your life. So much so that you might wish it were over sooner rather than later. Persecution may come. Not just things that happen to us, but things that are done to us. Already, to name the name of Christ is to be subjected to bullying antagonism and pressure and it's not a long step from bullying to brutality already there are people who are being stabbed and assaulted and spat upon and kicked when they stand to speak in the name of Jesus Christ in our country relationally the foundations can be broken society as a whole seems to be growing more distant greater isolation People are fine when they're staring at a screen, not so hot when they're looking into somebody else's face and actually trying to hold a conversation with them. Families drift apart. Old men and old women are abandoned in so-called care homes where they're not regarded by their own children, let alone by the people who are being paid to look after them. Little boys and girls dropped off in nurseries. I'm not saying that this happens in every place. But it's as if the parents consider them just a burden. Sometimes the people who are being paid to look after them have no real regard for them. Betrayals and departures. 
Do you think people are more trustworthy today than they used to be, or less so? Do you have more closer and reliable friends? Don't you find yourself sometimes even doubting whether you can trust anybody today? Another story about a business collapsing? Another person at work who's lied to you? Another false claim? Another set of political manifestos? Whoever gets in power suddenly realises that actually 50 or 90% of those can't really be followed through? At every level, relationally, the foundations are being destroyed. And tragically, we might even say ecclesiastically that is so. Now, we see some of the so-called big denominations, ones in which, to be honest, we wouldn't place a great deal of confidence. But the speed at which they are drifting from their moorings is terrifying. Even congregations which historically would have declared some kind of attachment to those unshaken found the foundations are fine. But they've lifted anchor and they've sailed away. Even amongst nonconformity, Protestant dissent, there's an increasing appetite for some of the emptinesses of the world. We're starting to fall into the trap and into the pattern of the way that the world thinks and the way that the world acts. And the church is expected to become a, a woke institution. And the congregations of Jesus Christ are expected to kowtow to the world and to do the, what the world wants in the way that the world demands. And very often the assault upon the values that the church holds are led by those who are already calling themselves Christians. So that whoever wants to has got a ready-made stick with which to beat the church of Jesus Christ. Heresies abound. They're not new, but they're newly turned over. And so often local churches are withering and dissolving. Yes, some are being planted and we rejoice over those. But this one's closed and that one's down to these few people and they're not sure where they're going to find a man for the next generation and so on and so forth. Let's be honest. Doesn't look great, does it? So, run. Flee like a bird to your mountain. Listen to all the naysayers. Let the voice of unbelief sound in your ear. Sit around and have some kind of congregational pity party where we just keep telling each other day after day how bad it all is, how difficult it's become, how pointless our labour is. Just batten down the hatches, shut the doors, close the windows and hope that maybe things will be better when the storm has passed. What shall the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? It's a difficult phrase, but I'm going to take it this evening in closing as the challenge against unbelief to which faith provides an answer. We have to respond to this inclination, this tendency, this suggestion that sometimes comes from unbelieving friends that is ready to roll in from faithless enemies and that sometimes finds an echo in our own hearts. Why should we bother? What is the point? Why don't we just drift? My friends, if the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? 
remembering that there are divinely established foundations which can never be shaken and recognising that so much of what a previous generation might have rested on is now seeming to pass away. What shall we do if we are resting on God's foundations? What is our response as individual Christians and as a church in the light of these things? Let me suggest the first solution is to wait upon the Lord. My friends, that's what the righteous can do if the foundations are destroyed. They can look to God with a cheerful patience. They can trust in the promises of God, which are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. They can anticipate that God who cannot lie will bring to pass all the things that he has provided and confirmed. We can do what Habakkuk did at the end of chapter 3, that though the the, the fig tree be... I'm in Haggai now, sorry. Habakkuk, here we go. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labour of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, I'm going to curl into a ball and say there's no point... I'm going to run away. I hope that I can find some refuge and just see if it'll all blow over. No, when all those things come to pass, even then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's what waiting upon the Lord looks like, brothers and sisters, when everything else is swept away, when the lights go off, when the foundations crumble, when the moral tone of the nation is pulled apart, when it looks like the Chaldeans, who are more wicked than the people whom God is using to punish them, are in the ascendancy. Yes, there may be a wrestling. Yes, there may be a challenge. Yes, there may be the voice that says, run away and flee like a bird to your mountain. But faith triumphs. And the righteous expects that God will always be God. And that Christ will never resign his throne. And that the Holy Spirit continues to work in the hearts of the sons of men, calling the elect of God to himself. When the foundations are shaken, the righteous wait upon their God. When the foundations are shaken, the righteous can hold to the truth and that's tough isn't it when everybody tells you that the bible is not to be relied upon tough when it's constantly being undermined tough you boys and girls when you're perhaps in environments or among friends where they're making mock of the scriptures perhaps environments where the whole educational system it seems wants to presume upon the nonsenses and the emptinesses as they see them of the sons of the of the scriptures of god I went to visit one particular school not so long ago. <clears throat> the history lesson that was in session as I walked into the classroom was about the, uh, the Reformation and the post-Reformation period, the Puritans in England. And the teacher saw the guests come in and she switched on the afterburners. These wretched Puritans, these joyless, miserable skulking, black-suited, faint... Uh, Who are you playing to? She knows who she's playing to. She's playing to the gallery. 
She, she expects everybody to go, oh, good, at least they're getting a good kicking. It's not just scriptural truth, it's historical truth. It's, it's 1984 doublethink. Even the language that we're being taught to use is designed to deceive and undermine any sense of final reality. What shall the righteous do when those foundations are destroyed? Believe that God has spoken. Hold fast to the truth as it is in Jesus. My friends, we need to treasure this book as the truth of God. We need to know our Bibles. And the harder men try to prize us off our scriptures, the more tightly we need to cling, like limpets to a rock. There will be many other claims of wisdom and guidance and direction for you to follow. There'll be men, there'll be books... Times of people, yeah, talk about that, the holy writings, you know, the great books of religion. No, there is one word from God, one foundational volume, the 66 books of the Old and the New Testaments. And to that we hold. My friends, when the foundations are shaken, the righteous hold to the truth. When the foundations are shaken, the righteous walk in righteousness you can live before God it will get harder because when everybody else is lying around you and you're the one man who speaks the truth that's not going to go so well for you ask Daniel why did the, the satraps and the governors hate Daniel quite likely because they were all skimming their own money off the, off the, the, the government flow the trouble is there's now an anomaly in the figures because there's one stinking honest man in government who isn't taking his share. And that Daniel makes us all look bad. If you're the one person at work who actually works, you'll make everybody else look bad because you'll make all their quotas look out. If you're the one person at work who tells the truth, <coughs> if you're the one person at work whose figures are reliable... If you're the one person at work who holds fast to Jesus Christ, it will be hard. But what the righteous can do is actually live like righteous people. There's a price to pay, certainly. But no compromise, my friends, for the sake of ease or for the apparent short-term safety. We are pilgrims in this world. And what the righteous can do when the foundations are shaken are to stand on the foundations which remain and live before the living God and trust in him with regard to the outcomes. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? They can minister to those who are in need. They can show compassion in a world that is full of greed and bitterness. They can demonstrate kindness they can stand up for those who are trodden down. They can be the men who won't make jokes about the women in the office. They can be the women who will stand up for men and children who are being abused and trampled upon. They can be the ones who won't indulge in the cruel jokes. They can be the ones who can be relied upon to, to see a friend safely to the car. 
They can be the ones who'll be the first to knock on a neighbour's door when there's distress and when there's grief. They can be the ones who, when there's a particular problem, when there's a particular need, they're willing to give. They can be the ones who do not grow weary in well-doing, but who do good to all and especially to the household of faith. They can be the men and women who are not marked by the widespread bitterness and sourness and selfishness and unkindness that is the common currency of our society today. What can the righteous do when the foundations are shaken? They can minister to the needy. They can also encourage the saints. Every one of us has a choice when we speak to one another. We can either say, flee as a bird to your mountain, or we can say we ought to trust the Lord. Now, what is the tenor of your conversation with your brothers and sisters in this congregation? What's the tenor of your conversation with Christian believers in other places and other churches? Do we drag one another down? Do we spend a lot of our time rehearsing the shaking of the foundations? Do we number out for one another how many of those bedrocks have been destroyed in recent months? Now, I'm not saying we don't need to recognise those. You might say, well, you you just went through seven of the things. Yeah, I know. We do want to face those. We do want to look at them. But do we dwell upon them so as to tell one another to flee? Is our constant current of conversation about the hopelessness and the helplessness of the present times? My friends, that's the kind of talk that takes our eyes off the living God It's the kind of talk that shuts our eyes to the truths and the promises which are contained in the scriptures. It's the kind of talk that drags us down from the living and true God as he makes himself known in Jesus Christ. It's the kind of talk that rather than strengthening the feeble hands, weakens them. That rather than straightening the feeble knees, makes them yet more feeble. That rather than lifting up the soul, brings it down. My friends, you are either going to be a pessimist who drags down to despondency or a realist. So don't even say an optimist. I'm being careful here. A realist who knows the God whose light shines in darkness. Not asking anybody to pretend that things are better than they are. But while God is enthroned on high, there is hope For the church of Jesus Christ, there is joy for the soul of every Christian. There is confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot afford to give ourselves to reminding one another just how bad everything is becoming and that there's no point trying anymore. You know, I think, by experience, how spiritually debilitating it can be to constantly be told that there's no point, that what we're doing is worthless and pointless, even as a church, from Christians and other congregations. Why are you trying when there's no value? My friends, we need to encourage one another. Think of Barnabas in Antioch. What did he do when he got there? He saw the grace of God. There's not much of that around here. Stop! (laughs) Every child of God in this building tonight 
is a shining token of the grace of God in the world. My friends, we need to stir one another up to love and to good works. The fact that this congregation is here is a marvel of divine work and grace. And that gives us confidence. My friends, if a wretch like you or me can be saved, then any wretch out there can be converted. And so, when the foundations are destroyed, the righteous can speak the gospel. I wonder how many of us have given up on speaking the gospel. After all, we know it doesn't work, don't we? We know that people aren't converted today, don't we? We know that no one's interested now. Maybe in another part of the world, maybe in another nation, maybe in another region, God's doing something, but we know that God doesn't do anything here. I mean, be honest, God's not going to convert your next-door neighbour, is he? God's not going to save your sons and daughters. God's not going to convert your parents. God's not going to deliver your brothers and sisters from darkness. There's no chance that God's going to save anybody in your class at school. No prospect that the godless people who live on your street are going to be converted. We know that, don't we? So why bother telling anybody about Jesus Christ? Run. Flee. There's no point. Do we believe that the gospel of the living God is the power of God to salvation? For everyone who believes, how will they know unless you and I tell them? My friends, we need to get back to the confidence that speaks God's good news to sinners, even in the very teeth of these shaking foundations, that goes not to the likely candidates, but to every creature, and tells people about a God who came into the world in the person of his Son, suffered and died in the place of the ungodly, took away the sins of his beloved people, loved not because of what they were in themselves, but because of his great and sovereign mercy toward them, made them accepted in the beloved, a perfect, complete, entire and full salvation, God wrought, heaven crafted, held out to you and to me. Whoever believes in this Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, we know that doesn't work, don't we? Do we? We haven't even tried it. How do we know that it doesn't work? Ah, it's too simple, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty confident that in most cases it's going to take some more questions. It might take years. It did for some of you, didn't it? Before you, having heard this gospel over and over again, came to trust in your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Some of you brought up in godly families, and for years it never gripped you. And then it clicked, or then it slowly dawned. Some of you brought up in paganism, where you never knew anything of the true and living God. And then what happened? Somebody actually bothered telling you about Jesus. God, in his mercy, worked in your heart, and that saving experience became yours. My friends, why not for others also? If we believe that there is joy and peace in believing in Jesus Christ alone, we need to speak the gospel. And then finally, we need to live in hope. We cannot be the people who shamble around this world in dark misery, 
Why not? Because we believe our Christ is coming again. Christians need to live with their eyes up, with their eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. We need to believe, to know, to expect that our Jesus is coming again to take us to be with him where he is. And so we need to fix our eyes on the risen Christ and we need to look for the resurrection. This world is not our home. Did you ever expect the foundations of this world to endure? Then you were misguided to begin with. Are you surprised then that they are destroyed? Are you shocked that this earth's foundations are being shaken? Because when God does his great shaking, one kingdom cannot shake. One rock does not move. One foundation must remain. One city shall stand. One throne will be left standing. And it is the throne, the kingdom, the truth of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The Lord, you see, tests the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. That's what the righteous man tells himself. When people say, flee like a bird to your mountain. What is his final confidence? The Lord is righteous. Our God loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. God smiles on the righteous man, woman, child, who knows what to do when the foundations are shaken. My friends, don't listen to faithless friends. Don't listen to unbelieving enemies. Don't listen to your soul's doubtful whispers. In the Lord, I put my trust. I know what I can do when the foundations are destroyed. I rest upon what cannot be shaken. I stand upon what will endure on the things that are true and clear and certain and sweet and pure. I hang upon a living God, Father, Son and Spirit. I hold to his truth. I trust in his work. I look for his coming glory and I live like a righteous person. My friends, may God help us Whatever happens in the next few days, whatever happens in the next few weeks or months, whatever happens over the winter, whatever happens into 2023, however long God gives us in this tottering world, let us trust in the living God and live like righteous people.